Thank you for joining me on another episode of Made to Cast, the very first episode of Made to Cast of 2023. And I am honored to sit here with artist extraordinaire, Ryan Ebert with Ryan Ebert Art. How are you doing, my friend? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Excellent, man. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. We were just kind of chatting before this started real quickly, and uh, I don't get to do too many of these in the PM, so I'm getting to sit down here. It was probably one of my first ones that I've actually got to crack. I cracked a bottle of uh, Monkey Shoulder, a recommendation that I had from some, some followers on Instagram, and I'm getting to sip that right now, and it's absolutely fantastic. So this is going to be a good one. Cause yeah, I got some uh, Maker's 46 going, so I figured with that's all the whisk, whiskey baiting you do that it'd be appropriate. <laughs> so. that's, that's perfect, man, and I, I'm going to be honest with you. This monkey shoulder is really nice, but I might, because you're hitting makers, I might have to crack my makers open, and uh, we'll see where this goes. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> so let's get right into it. Ryan, I've, 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 actually, let's just be honest here. Uh, Ryan is also a Bent Podcast alumni. Um, I think there might have only been three of us, four of us during that three segment. Three or four, yeah. Three yeah. or four. Um. I got to find out who the fourth is because if there's three, I'm, 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 or four, sorry, I'm missing the fourth one. But, uh, since then, I mean, that's what got me my eyes onto you and the world of what you do. And, uh, the talent behind it, after I talked to, uh, our guest a couple weeks ago, Ryan, uh, Ryan Gast with Tradewell Decoys, I've become obsessed with just what you guys do as an art. And that's what, you do is you make decoys a, a bunch with, along with a bunch of other things you your page is full of like photography I'm, I'm sure you can get into that more but uh the the art of decoy making like and now we're right first week of january um i don't know where it's like for you and this is what i wanted you to talk about I don't, i'm not sure exactly where you are but What's ice season like for you right now? Because I can tell you right here in southern Ontario, we just had this evening torrential downpours, and I don't think there's ice anywhere. So Yeah, it's probably not much better here. Um, yeah, where Ryan Gass said, he's up in northern Minnesota. They've had some pretty good ice for a while. Uh, okay. I think we've made and lost our ice a total of like three or four times now. Um, yeah, we had rain earlier today, and it was snowing just a little bit now. But uh, yeah, so I usually have to go about three to four hours north. Uh, I'm in southern Wisconsin, so I have to go up to Upper Michigan uh, to go pike spearing. Uh, that's two reasons: one, just ample opportunity, and I got friends up that way. Uh, and then also in Wisconsin here, we can't spear pike except for on Lake Superior. Uh, oh, okay. It's the only waters where we can spear pike. We can spear. We have a 16-day uh, sturgeon season on Lake Winnebago, um, so we can spear like these really rare dinosaurs, but we can't spear an abundant right. predator <laughs> like pike. Right. You know, right. make make sense of that, but yeah, that's that's crazy. I mean, and I mean, when he brought up uh, sturgeon to begin with, the fact that like, and you're saying that too, like you you have a sturgeon season, like getting to see one in person on like on a hook, like up here we like I said, we're not even supposed to take them out of the water for pictures. It's supposed to be water release and and all that stuff. So the fact that there's a spearing season for it still blows my mind, but. Again, I, I'm I'm jumping ahead into like the now. I always like to know what kind of what sparked this in in the person that I'm talking to. So like, this isn't obviously something you started a week ago. 
your your talent and everything on your page is absolutely fantastic. So bring bring me back to what got you into um, the decoy making. But I know that you do a lot of woodwork stuff. You, yeah. So the um, decoys. So we'll go all the way back to my college years. So uh, <clears throat> made a good friend, uh, Josh Kitt, who lives up uh, kind of on the border of the UP there, or was from there originally. Um, so in 2008, he just started mentioning about Pike Spearing and that his dad was a warden at the time and was really into this. And I had never really even heard of it before. Um, so I went up with him and some other friends and then just got obsessed with Pike Spearing and, and everything that went into it. We didn't even get uh, a pike that or see a pike that first time out, but it was just so cool. Like, it's just you know, you're staring into an aquarium. We had an otter come through, these massive trout. You know, we were seeing all this other stuff. That's so crazy. You know, it's, so it was just so cool to see that. And it was so different um, from anything else. You know, it's kind of, it's almost like bow hunting more than it is fishing um, in yeah. that regard. Just that sitting and waiting and, you know, for that few seconds of excitement. Uh, so I didn't get into uh, decoy carving right away because I was still uh, fresh out of college, just living in an apartment, didn't have any means of, buying tools or you know carving in my apartment or things like that um but was just fascinated by it and then finally when i did get a house i uh, started getting into carving i think it was probably late 2011 um so yeah just really got obsessed is probably the correct word you know just obsessed with making decoys and making fish and a lot of my early stuff was just it wasn't even fish i just wanted to see what kind of weird things i could make um sure. so we have uh, the Milwaukee Brewers is our baseball team, and they have the racing sausages are these, like, mascots that run around the bases in, like, the seventh inning. So I made each one of them as a decoy. You know, they had fins, and they, they were weighted to swim and everything, but I know everybody at first is like, no way a fish is going to come into that. And, you know, it's just like I want to prove them wrong. And, like, you know, the pike, they're just angry predators, so they'll just come into anything. Um, so it was just so fun, you know, going and trying those for the first time and just, yeah, any weird thing I could think of that wasn't even a fish and just seeing what I could do differently and making it swim and and having and pike come into them and it was just a lot of fun. That's amazing, man. I mean, and you said, like, you had to put in there that, like, they swam, they did what they're supposed to do. Um, you were kind of kind of a beat around the bush like a, a a spark to the fire that was the antithesis of this podcast which was that I could talk to people that don't do what I do in the same world as what I do and we can share this common feeling and I'm going to kind of bring it back to Ben and that is when you were on Ben you had said something that I had thought about and I had kind of expressed in my own ways but when I heard somebody who didn't do what I do which is making decoys uh, refer to you had said that it you have people ask for wall art you have people ask for mantle art they are still going to be able to tie a line to that mantle art and it's going to swim just as good as something that somebody's buying to fish every weekend for three months and I was like that's exactly like I know that feeling that that's that's what I do like I you it doesn't matter if somebody says, you know, for this kind of money, it's never going to be fished. I'm only going to hang it. But you can still fish it. Like, right. I'm not going to lessen the quality of that product just because you say you're not going to fish it. Right. Well, and I mean, it, to me, it, it has to swim. Otherwise, it's not a fish decoy if it can't swim, you know, if it floats or 
Um, and there's different schools of thoughts to, to waiting a fish to swim, and there are competitions for that. And and there's kind of a regional jokes about uh, swimming styles. So with my uh, upper Michigan ties, people like to say that uh, we like to have them go real slow. Like a six, you can drink a six-pack of beer by the time it gets to the bottom. You know, they're just a real <laughs> slow glide, slow circle. Minnesota guys seem to like it a little quicker, like to jig them a little faster. Uh, sturgeon guys don't really care um, if they swim. You know, most of those sink like a rock. I say if there's a lead shortage, I'm just going to go buy old sturgeon decoys and take the lead out of them because there's just so much lead in there. But they just right. leave them hanging. They don't really swim them a whole lot, so right. they don't care as much. Uh, well, I, I got a question for sturgeon then. Like, have you ever done that? Have you ever speared a sturgeon? Have you ever had the opportunity? I've, yeah, I've been going now uh, 10 years, I think. I've gotten one. I got one in 2020. Um, so, like I said, it's a 16-day season. 2020 was another warm winter, just a kind of brutal ice conditions, and uh, I had a up what's called the upriver tag, which is kind of like a more exclusive. Uh, the only issue about 500 tags of those. Your percentage chance is a lot better upriver. You've got about a 60% chance usually of success upriver. Uh, Lake Winnebago is generally about a five to six percent chance. Oh wow! Uh, <clears throat> but still, it was still brutal upriver. Um, they have real strict harvest caps, you know, that they'll cut off as soon as the harvest cap is met for like males or females. Um, you know, you have to register your fish every day. So they're keeping real strict um, tabs on all those numbers. Uh, but yeah, it was day 14 of the 16 day season that I finally got one. And I'd, I'd almost given up hope. And I was doing a two hour, about two and a half hour drive for me to go to Lake Winnebago. And I was doing that every morning. And it was just, just a brutal grind. And I was running late one morning. and <laughs> It was the last time I was going to go out, and then I was going to go up to the UP after that, and uh, we were doing a veteran's spearing outing. So I was just like, whatever, I'll just go one last time, be done with it. And uh, I had no more than gotten set up for like maybe 15 minutes, you know, just totally not thinking anything's going to come through. And up high and tight to the outside, like my left, it looked like a shark. I mean, it was that's, just... That's incredible. It was just insane. And I just took this Hail Mary, you know, spearing usually you want them kind of more straight down. You know, it's not really a throw. It's more like a pool cue kind of push. Okay. More um, finesse. This, yeah, this was a, a hard throw, like, all the way across the water to my left and uh, was by myself and got a hold of him and was fighting him up. And he went and did a second dive down. Uh, so sturgeon spears have detachable heads. So the fish can kind of roll and oh, you know, okay. they're, obviously, know they're obviously significantly bigger than a pike. So they will take that spear and they will make runs with it. Um, right. So you got to kind of tire them out, especially the bigger ones. And yeah, this one, he was giving me all he had and I got him up once and he dove back down. I didn't have my gaff with me and uh, got him back up to the hole and put my whole arm in the water and just got my hand like up to his mouth and he um he tried to do another dive and both my knees went in the water and I thought oh my god I'm gonna drown You're going this in. fish yeah <laughs> and uh, finally I just like kind of bear hugged him then and just fell backwards like in in the shack like out the door with him and hey, yeah he was that's awesome he was uh, what a rush fifty five pounds and just shy of like sixty inches so wow yeah wow uh, that's 30, incredible man. yeah the DNR thought he was about a thirty five year old male adult male so. Now, is there, because, like, is there, how can, you can't really, what am I trying to say? Like, for a limit, or not a limit, um, but, like, it, are they slot-sized? Are they, 
Uh, 36 you, inch minimum. Minimum. Um, it's the minimum, yeah. Okay. And I mean, most, especially on Lake Winnebago, most of what you're seeing is going to be for sure over that 36 inches. Um, and sturgeon decoys tend to be a little bit bigger. I like most of mine to be about 18 inches, so I know if it's double you know, double that length that it's illegal fish. Right. Well, yeah. that's what I was going to say because the water, the refraction and stuff, it's got to be yeah. hard to like pinpoint, especially with depth. If it's clear water, like you don't know if it's five feet down or 12 feet down, like it's hard to gauge. I mean, I say that because I've never done it. Yeah. You do it every year for you. It might be a lot easier to be like, okay, that's a, you know, that's a 48 inch fish. That's harvestable. Yeah. Now, yeah. because, because sturgeon isn't something that people are pulling up, like, you know, salmon and trout and all these other fish do they get harvested like do you eat them or are they all mounts oh you definitely yeah you definitely eat them um i cooked mine up every different way i could try and smoked had some of it smoked well, and yeah i mean it's, see that's what i mean like i have no idea like other outside of salmon caviar which is obviously like really high respected the actual harvesting of the meat on on a sturgeon i don't or sorry, sturgeon caviar is what I'm going to say. Um, I- I've never heard of anybody like say, oh, you've got to try sturgeon meat, I guess. But again, up here, you're not even allowed to take them out of the water. Yeah, yeah. Harvest them. So for for us, yeah. we would never hear it. But I'm, I'm just curious because like that's not something that ever rings across somebody's um, when they say, oh, this fish or that fish, because it's a monstrous, like that's a that's a huge freezer full of, Right. If you're freezing it, right? Like yep. that's 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 a winter's worth of meat right there if you want to, especially a fish of that size. Mm-hmm. You're getting a lot of steaks off of that. So is that generally like it what's the flesh like? Is it like a I mean you can tell dense? there you can yeah, it's I'd equate it to like I don't know if you've had halibut, like it's kinda like a firmer mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. Uh, meat like that. So yeah, you can do a lot of different stuff, but you definitely can tell they're a bottom feeder, so if you just do like an unseasoned boil, you can kind of taste that little bit of a lake flavor to it. Uh, right. but so smoking it and things like that is definitely a little bit better. Right. That No, that's, I mean, that's, that's a world that I'm, spearfishing is one thing. Sturgeon spearing, like anything to do with sturgeon. Like I, I they're like a mythical creature to me, right? Mm-hmm. Like I've never, I've never seen one, never mind spear one. So that's awesome, man. Yeah. But like, yeah, we're super fortunate. I mean, Wisconsin was one of the first states to like protect them. Uh, so we have a very abundant population, especially in the Winnebago chain and uh, other states uh, in the springtime. So they'll uh, net them and tag uh, fish while they're spawning and they'll collect all that, that spawn and they take, you know, they use them for other states to start their population. So Wisconsin's oh, wow. definitely a, a shining uh, example of a sturgeon population. That's amazing. That's incredible. Cause yeah, like I make it sound like they're this like one in a billion thing but like you know you you live in a state that is uh i don't want to say reintroduced but um focused its efforts on protecting the population mm-hmm. so it might be way more common like it might be something you you snag on a summer line when you're yeah. catfishing or something right like yep. um but that's super cool man that's but for ice versus um for decoying them they're not they're bottom feeders why are they coming in just curious uh like i said mine was up high uh they are bottom feeders they'll feed their main forage is uh uh red worms these like larvae that are in the in the mud basically so they're sucking mud half the day uh but they i mean they'll run up high and uh they're curious dinosaur so uh most of your decoys you're using for them aren't super 
realistic looking fish. They're really bright, colorful, oddball stuff. Um, some guys aren't swimming traditional wood decoys. They're putting deer antlers down, Barbie cars, disco balls, uh, <laughs> rubber sharks, uh, Barbie, you know, whatever weird stuff. Right. Uh, just anything that they think they haven't seen before, just getting a curiosity. They're not coming up like a pike will come up and attack a decoy and, you know, they're right. trying to eat it or bite it. Uh, sturgeon, I mean, at best, they're just going to nudge that decoy. They're just wondering what this weird thing is, you know. Like I said, mine was 35 years old. There's, I had one of the racing sausages decoys that I mentioned before down. You know, he didn't touch it, but maybe that was something just weird that he was curious, what is this hot dog looking thing doing right. in the water, you know? <laughs> right. No, that's, that's, uh, that's, I mean, I, I'm super intrigued by the sport in general. And like I said, a million times on this podcast, I'm a sucker for like nuance and detail. So like when I can, you would think I'd be more of a gearhead when it came to fishing stuff, because I love the aspect of like everything having a purpose. So having the proper bait caster for line ratio for this or uh, bait caster rod ratio for this weight and blah, blah, blah. This is what happens when I, by the way when we start to break out the whiskey, suddenly <laughs> the mind starts to lose words. So this could go down real fast. Um, but no, I, I like those nuanced things. So when you talk about like spears, like the fact that some guys like to use this type of spear and this spear, like, you know, when you have, when you can show up to a hut and have like your gear, do you know what I mean? Like this is my, guys will do it with rods and stuff, but I'm I'm assuming that people aren't showing up with 25 spears, right? Like, oh. I go out of my buddy's boat. He's got 30 rods all set up with different gear. You have your, it's like you said, it's like a pool cue. It's like mm-hmm. when I played pool, you, I had a cue. That was my cue. Like came with me everywhere. I was the only one that used it. So it's like, that's, and I love that aspect of, of the spear fishing. Yeah. I think that's what really makes uh dark house spearing so unique, especially sturgeon spearing. I mean, everything is custom made. I mean, there is not a commercial maker you know, on any sort of massive level of spears. Like there are guys that only make spears and they make a fair amount of spears every year, but there's one guy like in his garage making that spear. There's, you know, people like me making decoys. Uh, There's guys that make hand ice saws, you know, the tons for, you know, for pike spear and you'll pull a block of ice out, sturgeon spear, and they generally will just push that block down. But, Mm. you know, custom making shacks and just every, every part of it is custom made. And I think it just makes it so cool. Um, so that's so, so unique. Like we were saying, this is your season. We're we're into that that freeze over season. This is when your product shines. But for the rest of the year, are you just excuse me building stock for this season? Like when it comes to making. Uh, so yeah, like you mentioned, I I I do a lot of different things. My degree is in graphic design. Um, I spent uh, 11 years in the publishing industry as an art director, kind of doing a little bit of oh, everything wow. from photography, website work, um, graphic design, obviously, uh, just a little bit of everything. And then about five years ago, went on my own. Uh, so most of my season or my year is spent doing a lot of photography and design work for individuals, uh, businesses, associations, things like that. So I don't do a whole lot of carving in, I'd say, the warm months. Uh, right. In the winter, when photography and things like that slow down a little bit that's when i do a lot more carving um so i'd say that's really my time that i build up stock but i I never really feel like i build up a good stock if i want to build up stock i don't 
I don't post anything on social media. I certainly don't put it for sale on my Etsy site. Um, right. There's a National Fish Decoy Show in April every year that I go to in Minnesota up by Ryan Gast. Uh, so, like, when I'm making stuff for that, I'm not sharing any of that because it's like, well, I don't, I don't want to be telling somebody no that they can't have something that I'm, you know, posting on Instagram right. or whatever. Right. Um, but I, I can't post things because otherwise somebody's gonna, gonna want it, and, and then right. I won't have anything for my table or the competitions there. So. And that, and that's where that's kind of where I'm at right now is come January, I, I have the winter boom where people kind of want things for the Christmas tree and, and for gifts. And I try my best to get everything out in time to get those Christmas presents out. But then come this time, I've I've already said no to a bunch of people because I, I couldn't guarantee for Christmas. Some people said, well, that's fine. We'll wait till after. But then now I, I too have a, a tackle show in April, April 2nd, I believe, April 2nd or I think it's it doesn't matter it's right at the beginning of april um the can cast fishing show and uh, for me i got to start building stuff because it's not a full-time gig for me either so kind of every moment i have to be preparing stuff and if i'm sending that out the door i'm gonna have an empty booth like you said and i kind of want right. to go with the, the booth because that's the whole thing is to like interact with people and get them to hold these things but at the same time i got to try to keep a social media presence and show that i'm still active and i'm still so i got to show that i'm building but then when you show your building somebody wants something and then like i don't like saying so it's it's a it's a, it's a double-edged short yeah that's right yep. that's right <laughs> yep. and it's it's tough but i mean that's kind of where i'm at now as well Is like i'm kind of turning down all orders now until april which is three months that's a big thing so i'll try to do maybe a drop somewhere in the middle just so i can move some baits but i want to have a full booth like you said you don't want to go there and have four baits and say you can custom order off me later you kind of want people to be able to to have that so that's what i did last year and last year i actually walked home with some baits so i was able to like say to the people that wanted stuff like hey i got these left over these baits if you're interested in those and i could get those out the door so but the decoy thing is i was curious because the reason i asked about the summer months is because obviously you're you're crazy talented and your baits are only a size or two off of making like a big musky bait or mm-hmm. scaling down a little bit you know making some large bass baits some glot like have you ever thought about dipping into like the actual lure world as opposed to the 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 decoys i thought about it but i mean with yeah all the stuff i rattled off well and i also design like my own shirts and do screen printing too so i i, I was gonna say I, that so I, don't... I don't mean to cut you off but <laughs> for anybody curious go check out i gotta say this i gotta cut you off you posted not long ago some shirts you made and you had all the local uh fish from wisconsin i believe it was Mm-hmm. Or am I wrong? Yeah, by actually, that? yeah, I think I'm wearing that one. Yeah. You're wearing yeah. it, the red one, yeah. Because then you also did it in a different color print, like a, a, a blue or a gray or something like that. Oh, uh, I did the so I've done basically the main states that I fish in, so Minnesota, uh, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Yeah. Yep. So, which uh, super cool shirt? Go check out his uh, his Instagram for that shirt, and uh, it's just because I went to school for art as well, and I focused on graphic design, and art was always hard for me because impressionist art and all that stuff just never really made sense to me. But when it came to like a, uh, like a graphic design where things are just what they are, they're just perfectly arranged. Like it's just, that's what I like about your shirt. And it was the first thing I noticed. And I'm glad you brought it up because I was going to bring it up eventually was just the, it's simple, but it's 
I don't know. You guys got to see it. Yeah. It's just, it's literally all the shows I'm making out to see him, but it's just, it's got the perfect simplicity and, and it's fish. We love. Yeah. Fish. My so, style is definitely, I like that minimalist style and yeah. you know, usually I'm not putting like a whole lot of text. I like the, the design to speak for itself and just be something kind of fun and cool. And, uh, but yeah, back to the, the lure question. I have yeah. thought about it. I, I've bought in books on lure making and obviously follow your stuff and other guys. And, uh, but I, I don't need another hobby. I think my wife would kill me if I got another <laughs> obsession. Cause I, I just dive in too hard on anything that I, I get into and it's just like all encompassing of my life then. And, and right. Yeah. But there's just so much crossover between, I think decoy making and the lure stuff and how how you guys paint and the stencils. And I always fight with my airbrush and I, I, you know, I watch some of you guys doing the, you know, your whiskey bait and sessions. And it's like, yeah, there's definitely techniques and things that I could pick up. And, right. Um, there's a cross but, over there. And that's what I like. I, I see, um, because I, I kind of get into a fight. I make some really small baits, like three and a half, four inch baits and, and painting them really detailed. I enjoy that. I enjoy like free handing a lot with the airbrush and, and trying to go stencil free. But then sometimes I'll get like somebody will send me a, like an old musky bait or or something bigger um, that I can really use a lot more artistic liberties with. Do you know what I mean? Like your palette or your mm-hmm. canvas is so much bigger. And then I think like this would be so much fun. And then I see some of the decoys you guys are making and they're beautiful. And at the same time, I'm like, that's such a nice canvas to work on. Like I would love to paint something that big. But then I'm like, I again, the same thing. I could... at a certain point i feel like i have to stay in one lane like i you can't i can't i can't um i like i do some soft plastics but i can't fully immerse myself into the soft plastic world just because like there's so much to master i feel like my time would be wasted splitting them all up like i found my niche i picked it so i'm kind of answering my own question to you if you felt the same (laughs) way but but it's just that world is so close and you wouldn't have um, like the size that you'd be working with. Do you know what I mean? Like you could do multiples of smaller mm-hmm. ones as opposed to the bigger ones. So I was just always so yeah. curious because it's only like a degree or two off of making a hook hanger and uh, like right. a line tie and being able to tow one of those things behind a boat. I, I bet you even some of the ones you make, you throw a couple of hooks on it and you tow it behind a boat, something's hitting it. Oh, for sure. Well, in different states have different regulations. So a lot of states you can put what's called like cheater hooks um, so guys will put them like hanging off from like the anal fin. They'll have a hook on there and you can, you know, if obviously they bite it, you'll, you'll get them that way. But, Sorry, people can't see this, but I can. Yeah. Can you lift that up a bit? That's a, yep. he's showing me a pike decoy right now. What, what size would you say that is? Like 10, uh, 12 inches, inch. 12, inch? 12 inches. Yeah. So I, I make decoys anywhere from the small side generally make is about four inches, but I've made them as big as three feet. Uh, wow. you know, pretty much life size. So this is like a 12 inch. It was actually a competition decoy. Uh, so this is a lot more detailed than I would normally do. That's gorgeous, man. What what are those fins made out of? Um, most of what I'm doing is aluminum. Uh, if I want to leave them bare, uh, like flashy metal, I'll do uh, copper. Uh, but otherwise, it's okay. aluminum, yeah. So, so this is a heavier gauge uh, that I grinded in the fin rays and like put a little bit of detail uh, in That's those beautiful, fins, man. So, yeah. uh, I'll post a picture. I'm sure you'll get a picture. I'll get a picture from you. I'll post yep. that in the stories when I post this because that thing's an absolute banger. And, and, but see, like, I, I've had people say this about my lure, and I'm like, it's it's just a lure. But I look at that, I'm like, I'd be afraid a pike hits that. Like, that <laughs> thing's gorgeous. Like, the yeah. paint job's gorgeous on it. Like, Yeah, one that level is probably, like, I wouldn't put it down in the water. Right. <laughs> you don't let a pike bite it. But 
uh, yeah, I mean, everything is still made to swim, like we said, you know, even though it's probably always going to spend its life on the shelf, it'll still work. Right. But you, you also make, for those that don't know, the infamous, I believe, don't, don't hurt me for the name, but I believe it's the Pikelope. It would yep, it be the Pikelope? Yep, yep. <laughs> a, a beautiful pike decoy with antlers on its head, which is an absolute gorgeous, and brings me back to the Funniest Home video, America's Funniest Home Videos with the Jackalope. I don't know if you remember the Jackalope, mm-hmm. but uh, that brings me back to my childhood. But when I saw that, I'm like, that's, that's absolutely perfect. That's the yep. perfect decoy. <laughs> yeah, like I said, uh, I like to make things that are just weird, and the challenge of getting it to swim especially those full-size pikelopes that I'm using, like, real antlers and the, you know, they're, it's very, like, taxidermy. Part of that skull plate I'm actually embedding in the wood. Oh, no way. And setting it in there. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's truly set in there. Um, yeah, so that'll definitely throw off the weighting of a fish, and I spend hours on those big pikelopes, like, trying to get them to swim right. Again, like, it's probably never going to go in the water, but I still want that damn thing to swim. Uh yeah, and those so those are big too. Those are usually about two feet. I mean, it has to be a big chunk of wood to put some put some right. antlers on there. Right. Uh, but I'll do mini, what I call mini ones. They're still about twelve inches. So I sent one of those to like Joe Smelly and Stephen Rinella, and those are like right. little uh, lead cast antlers that I found um, from like a wood carving shop. So I'll make oh, smaller that's awesome. ones. Of those. Yeah. Yeah, that's that that thing's hilarious. That's that's such a piece of work. Um, spending all the time in the do, do you guys have any uh let's start i mean i don't want to tell any secrets so I, the thing i'm alluding to is that we um i don't know what state brought it up but all my buddies up here that ice fish thought it was hilarious because it's something they talked about was last year i believe it was last year was brought up with prostitution on the ice <laughs> did, or like hookers on the ice have did yeah. you hear about that whole story yeah, that wasn't that like about that? it's ohio or something i think yeah, yeah there it was a state <laughs> but I mean, I've talked to, I just was literally talking to my buddy Carson with Dangle Bates like a couple nights ago and it, we brought it up and because like, he I'm not sure where people. you're going with this. My wife is going to listen to this. So uh, if you're talking my about wife, my wife, ice, is sit, yeah. my wife is sitting right beside me so, <laughs> and, and she's looking at me. So I'm actually backtracking real quickly talking about this. So the point is, is that not prostitution. What I'm getting at is what are some weird things that you might have seen on the ice? Anything crazy happen? Any, um, I've only been on the ice once and I saw a big, big weed bust. Like, um, in the, it was like we were in cottages on the ice and the people beside us got busted with it, with a bunch of dope. This was a few years back now, five, five years ago, pre-legal up here. Um, mm-hmm. but anything Anything weird happen while you're on the ice? Uh, yeah, I've seen a lot of different uh, critters and stuff on the ice, things you wouldn't normally think running across. Uh, my most infamous story is uh, 2018. It was like an early ice season, so it was probably maybe the second week of December. Uh, I went up to the UP, and I'd done some uh, annual winter camping with some buddies. And being self-employed, I'd went up earlier, and they were going to come out later. Uh, I got on the ice, like, at first light. I was a little bit hungover from hanging out with my buddy that lives right on the border there, the UP, and he was going to come out later. So I wasn't really paying attention when I went out. I was just kind of spudding and checking the ice because I knew it was a little bit thinner. Get out to where we were going to go on this kind of remote lake. And uh, I was just about, like, going to start augering holes and checking clarity. And I look across the ice. There's, 
again, it's a remote lake. There's nobody out there, you know, nobody for probably 20 miles. And uh, I see this object, dark object on the ice, and I'm like, what the hell is that? And I, it was probably almost a mile away. And I'm like, is that a wolf? And I'm like kind of watching it. And it's just this big black shape. And I'm like looking and I'm like, holy crap, it's a black bear. And again, it's winter and it's ice. And I'm like, what is this thing doing out? And so I call my buddy that I had been out with the night before who's at work and leave him a message like, hey, there's a bear on the ice. Like maybe, maybe we're not going to be able to camp, you know. And uh, I keep watching this bear and I set up my little camera I have with and filming it for a bit. And all of a sudden I notice it's like coming towards my direction across the ice. So I start yelling at it and like kind of cleaning my auger, ice auger and my ice saw. And it just keeps walking across at me. And I'm like kind of starting to wonder like what's going on here. And there's no option for me to leave this lake. There's marshland around me and it's on the path basically back to my truck if I wanted to right. get out of there. And, uh, yeah, it just keeps coming towards me. So I call my buddy's dad, who's a retired warden, like trying to get advice from him. And he's like, uh, just don't run. And he's like, just yell at it. And I'm like, I'm doing all that. And, and he's kind of chuckling cause he's, you know, seen plenty of black bear and he wasn't really worried about it. And he's like, well, if the bear eats you, can I have all your decoys? And I can just <laughs> hear him and my other buddy just dying laughing. And I'd the be darn thing, dude. yeah. So to try and make it a shorter story ends up coming within about 10 yards of me. And I thought for sure I was going to have to fight this bear. <laughs> yeah. And it finally like gets the 10 yards for me and then goes up on this little Island right next to me where we were going to set up camp and go camping. And as soon as I got up on that Island, I threw all my stuff on my sled and made record time getting out of there. And I'm just 100%. Like, nope. but like, I don't know what's going on. I'm just getting out of here. Uh, so then the next day we went spearing in a different spot, different Lake. And we came back two days later and uh, went kind of on a different side of the lake. We're like, well, we're not going to go over there. Well, my retired warden buddy comes out later and just marches straight over there. And sure enough, that bear is still out there. And it's like trying to hibernate on the ice, basically right huh. where I left it. Uh, so we took pictures by it and we ended up calling the Michigan DNR, like letting them know like, hey, this right. bear is just kind of acting weird and hanging out. Yeah, um, Their thought was that it was just because it was kind of a warmer weekend and it was probably like a two and a half three-year-old bear that it was probably its first time on its own and it woke up you know warmer weather and was just right. confused and wandering around and yeah right. so that's definitely the weirdest uh thing i've probably Terri seen that's <laughs> terrifying though like that yeah. would bring me like i would be thinking discovery channel i'd be thinking i'm a statistic <laughs> like yeah. bears shouldn't be awake in the winter it's hungry right. it's coming for me like there's yeah. no way, dude. And I would be the first to run and be eaten. I'm yeah. not standing my ground. I'm running. I'm terrified. Yeah. 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 My retired warden buddies made fun of me. They're like, oh, is he on bear? Like, what are you all scared of? I'm like, that thing's still, like, just as big as I am. And, like, when we took pictures, I mean, it had some nice claws on it. I'm like, I had nothing. Like, what am I going to do? Hit it with my auger? Like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, that's, that's a hard note. I, I mean, yeah. I love wildlife. I love seeing it. Like. But to my discretion, like I, I went for a summer up north and I, I kayaked maybe 15, 10, 15 yards away from like a full racked moose in the water. Like I, I basically could have fed it. Like it, it was enormous, enormous beast. We we saw a bunch of them that weekend and they were beautiful until one morning one woke us up walking through our campground and I'm trying to film it. And I got it on film, me being the biggest wuss 
ever off. Like I'm like I'm with my best friend and I I'm going I go Chris I got you can hear me whispering I'm shaking I'm trembling I'm like dude I got flip flops on he goes so what I'm like I can't climb a tree with flip flops and he goes do you want me to hold the camera I was like yeah so I give him the camera and then if you watch the film it's shaky shaky then it's like it's on a tripod the guy's not scared of he walks right up to it I'm yeah. like dude that thing will kill you like I'm absolutely terrified because now it's in my space like when I go into mm-hmm. its space like I know my way it's same thing like I couldn't that night he swears I got woken up by like a raccoon or something but I swear a if you knew the site, if you knew the whole location, we hung our food too low. We're we're out in the Algonquins, like up north in, in Ontario here. Um, there is some black bear, and I think that we just hung it too low, and it caught the scent of it. And I woke it up. We were sleeping in hammocks, not tents. So I'm sleeping in a hammock, like a buffet, right at its face level. And I heard it walk by me, and I could hear it, like, huffing. But it is pitch black like black black mm-hmm. made a big noise and i tried to get out of my tent and this whole thing happened and i was terrified i think it's the yeti like there's a like bigfoot's in the forest with me now <laughs> it's midnight i could barely get back to sleep but like nature is terrifying when you're not ready for nature if i was drilling holes in the ice and i turn around and i'm like oh look at that thing and then you realize it's a black bear walking towards you big no i'm yeah. like I don't know. I I commend you for just keeping calm. I don't know what I would have done. <laughs> oh, my heart was definitely going. I'm not going to pretend like I wasn't Yeah, getting amped up, especially once I realized, like, oh, this thing is purposely walking at me. Like, And That's it right. took its sweet-ass time. I mean, it was like 30 minutes. Because like I said, it was almost a mile away when I first saw it. It was all the way across the lake. But, yeah, when it knowingly was wanting to pop my bubble, you know, my space bubble, I'm like, all right, what's going on here? Like, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. That's, I, I'm out with that. But so, like, that's majority of your fishing then? Do you get any summer fishing in, or are you just mainly uh, hard water? A little bit. Uh, yeah, like, pike spearing and, and sturgeon spearing are, are my main time out on the, on the water, just because that's my slower time of year for work. Right. Yeah, my summer, especially my late summer and the fall, uh, late fall is always just crazy busy. Uh, my wife's kind of a saint and allows me to pretty much work seven days a week when I have to there. And so I don't get a whole lot of time out, but, uh, got out trolling, uh, for salmon, uh, got a buddy that got a nice boat and we went out on Lake Michigan a few times this summer. And, uh, I got a kayak that I get out on a few times a year, but yeah, open right. water, uh, just not, I'd love to get out more. I just don't get out a whole lot. It's the time. It's always the yeah. time. Like it's. I mean, my season's obviously opposite of yours, but like this is my slow season. This is—I mean, I say slow with big air quotes because like I, I got three kids and a family. Mm-hmm. And your free time is this limited to what you have, but I don't have to try to fight to get out on the water during this time because, excuse me, ice fishing is something like I said I've only done once. I've had offers though since I last brought this up to go out this year, but like I said, the ice has been so. Um, non-existent because right. of all of the rain and everything so um i think northern ontario starting to freeze up so i might be able to hit a trip up but it's still going to take me three four hours to get out to that spot right so you kind of got to make a make a trip out of it it's tough for me to do it just for a few hours like for a day even i'm gonna have to go for a weekend but we'll see i don't know it's it's something that would I'm hoping to get into, but spear fishing. I did look into it after my last podcast, and it looks like it's like dark house spear fishing is a no go 
in Ontario, which mm-hmm. kind of depressed me a little bit because, I mean, like I've said before, I, I have bow hunted before. That's how I hunted was with a uh, uh, compound bow. And that, the spear fishing <clears throat> really uh, resonated with me. Like, it's, I think it's something that I would, the patience, like the, and and after talking, because again, I, I like that I talked to the other Ryan before you, because uh, having this conversation, I kind of have a better understanding of what it is. And when it was brought up, like, my bias was that you just throw a spear at whatever comes in the hole. But you could be there all day and pass on it, just like a deer. You could pass on the first three yeah. deer you see, right? And then you're waiting for that one. Um, dark house spear fishing i didn't really see it as that until the conversation and that really um that like i said that's what resonated with me to be able to sit in there you know have a drink have a good time just relax talk do whatever but wait for those that fish that you want to show up yeah well and yeah it is like a huge kind of misunderstanding is people think yeah that you're just going to hammer every fish or spear and all the big fish um if i wanted to go and get a bunch of pike i would not go dark house spearing i would go out with three of my buddies and put up nine tip-ups you know cover an acre of the lake at least and hammer pike that way because dark house spearing you're cutting one hole that's a ton of work i mean yeah you can you can move if you want, but you got to cut a whole another hole, especially if that ice right. is thick. That's a lot of work, and we're right. we're not getting any younger. You realize how out of shape you are <laughs> once you start doing that, especially with a hand ice saw. So you're only looking at one hole, and it, and it's a sturgeon spear and says, saying that you're you're duck hunting out of a chimney, basically. You know, you're covering just one one yeah. little area that's, of a lake. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah. So that pike has to come in or, you know, it's got to fully commit to the hole too. Like sometimes you'll see like just the nose of the pike kind of outside the hole. Well, you're not getting that fish. You might be able to kind of see that that pike is there, but there's no way you're going to hit it, you know, if it's way outside the hole. <clears throat> uh, so you need that thing to come in like basically right underneath you and, and you still got to connect with it. And that's not exactly. the easiest thing. I mean, pike are super fast so if you do anything if they catch a movement or your foot you know scrapes the ice like they will spook immediately and you will not even get a throw at that fish so right it's it's not the easiest thing um and i'm part of a group the wisconsin dark house association that's trying to get pike spearing here in wisconsin uh and we've been trying for many years but we have it coming up on our spring ballots here uh, for a statewide boat this next year and hopefully We'll finally get it through. I think uh, different groups and like YouTube, Meat Eater, like things like that have really helped people kind of realize what pike spearing is and, right. and that it's not so easy and that, you know, we're following the same harvest regulations that everybody else is and and we're not going to hurt the population in any sort of way. Uh, and, you know, it's like any sort of hunting or fishing, you have to still be able to identify your species that you're after and follow all yes. those regulations. and. Yeah. Well, that that's just, it. I mean, kind of nail on the head is yeah, after the last one that I had was uh, I got tons of messages that said exactly what you just said. Like, oh, I was under the in- impression that like they just killed everything they saw. And I was like, I didn't know anything about it. And it's 
when you talk to someone like yourself who's educated and knows what they're talking about, it's not just eyes opened. You realize that maybe what you were thinking or your preconceived notion of it wasn't even really possible. Like, like you said, and I love that, that metaphor of like duck hunting through a chimney. Like, to think that you're going to slaughter everything you see, cutting one hole. And I mean, granted, it's not a hole, it's an opening. Mm-hmm. You're assuming that there's going to be thousands of fish that swim through that hole at any given time, right? Like, you might go there, you might see one fish, and it's not even the species you're supposed to hunt. And if you want to be a dick about it and try to stab it, it's not even a guarantee you're going to hit it. Like, there's right. a good chance you miss. Like, so that is, again, that is something that I've been kind of awoken to. And again, what intrigues my interest is that there's a big challenge to it, but there's a, like, it's, it's a true ethical venture because you have to identify like hunting before, like I said, I can't, I'm not supposed to catch sturgeon, but if I throw a line out in the water trying to catch another species, I catch a sturgeon. If you catch an unlisted fish, you're just a dick. Mm-hmm. Like, because you have to throw that, spe- like you're aiming for it and you're spearing it, right? Like, like if an unregulated species comes through and you tag that thing with your spear, it's because you purposely threw it, right? Like, so anybody that's harvesting a fish, I mean, outside of slot sizes, which might be a miss, like you might miss and you might be short a little, and I, I'm sure accidents happen like that, but you're not pulling a muskie out when you're not supposed to pull a muskie out. Because you have to identify that fish, throw it, and, and then try to get it, right? Like, so the challenge is up there. And then what I've noticed from doing, and I'll get it from this one too, I know, is that the culture behind people that ice fish is very, um, I don't want to say old-fashioned, but it's like an old-rooted uh, ethics behind ice fishing or spear fishing i should say or dark house fishing like the people that talk about it it's it's revered it's not like oh yeah you can kill it like it's not hard we just everybody that has come and talked to me about it i've had offers to be taken to do it and everybody is like it is like they're when you get those opportunities they always refer because i've said i've hunted it's like when you see that that exact species you're going for it gets within your zone you can reach out and touch it and you harvest what you like when all those stars align it's like it's the perfect moment you know what i mean like it's never just like oh yeah we go out there we get hammered on the ice and we just kind of throw our spears or whatever passes but like that's never been brought up you know what i mean like it's way more ethical and, and held at a higher standard so um i could see which i also don't i also don't know why it's not more open in other places especially northern places that are iced up all the time as i say well that i mean that's the big aspect is you got to have it's got to be a state that makes ice so obviously like i have a map in my decoy shop of where all my decoys have gone i've got a lot of decoys have gone to states that don't make ice so they're obviously not doing any pike spear in there that's just you know going on a shelf and things like that but uh yeah i mean there's a lot that goes into you got to have good ice you got to have clear water so you can actually see the fish um I mean, a lot of, especially here in southern Wisconsin, a lot of our lakes are pretty, pretty cloudy water. Like, even if pike spearing was legal, you wouldn't be able to go spearing because you can't see a foot of the water. It's just, you know, murky, murky pea soup, basically. So, right, right. Uh, yeah. And then, and then obviously you got to have an abundant pike population, too. 
Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, no, I just, I, it just because it's, it's got such a challenge, I, I would have thought that it would be, because like you said, the other thing is not everybody's going out and cutting that hole in the ice. I don't ice fish because I don't want to drill a million holes in the ice. <laughs> Never mind cut out a giant doorway into the ice. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. a ton of work to do. So, yeah. no, I, I don't know. I, I, it's again, it's something that I'm, 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 I'm really curious about. And, I, and I, I, to be honest with you, I love knowing things about what I don't do, and that's one of the ventures. Um, one of the most important questions is, what are you eating? What are you eating in a dark house? What's your ice house snack? <laughs> my go-to snacks. Uh, well, right. I just made like five pounds of venison jerky tonight. So huh. uh, I have my annual trip with my buddies uh, that we've been doing now, man, probably almost 15 years. We call it Spearfest, where we go up to the UP. Uh, and we'll, there's a group anywhere, usually from 20 to 40 of us that half of us live around the country now. And we'll get together every year and do this and go uh, hike spearing. So I think, yeah, that venison jerky will probably be my snacks uh, for next weekend. That's the go-to. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's dehydrated meat is kind of it has to be the mm-hmm. the go-to for like boats. It's I mean, it's just the protein and everything. Uh, venison jerky is dynamite, though. Mm-hmm. It is the best. Uh, do you like? Do you hunt during the? I, I asked that, but I follow your page. But um, do you get out hunting much? Uh, yeah, I'm definitely a, a rifle. Uh, like, white would you say? Hunter, would you yeah. consider yourself like more of an avid hunter than a? than a hobby hunter uh i'm a freezer filler hunter like that's, 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 <laughs> yeah. that's, that's it's that's, definitely an important part of our our yearly diet is getting that venison and getting it everything so yeah you that, don't know yeah. if you can see it i got like a wall wall of white tails over here i, so. I see i see all the oh <laughs> yeah. i saw right when you logged in the, the yeah. rack so um yeah i mean that's why i started years ago was just for that purpose as well it's for just having some not even like i like venison i like moose meat and just to be able to have that in the the freezer for throughout the cold months and stuff like that like that the thought of that and same with fish i I like to catch fish in the summer and eat it that day if not that hour like shore lunch that's the best way to do it um but when it comes to like late season perch fishing or stuff like that i like to get some freezer bags full so that when i do want to do fish it's fish that i caught i'm not worrying about like i generally don't like to freeze fish but i'll do it for the winter so that i can have fresh caught fish throughout throughout the colder months is what i try to do at least but uh again when it comes to time hunting took the back seat when it came to uh kind of everything else i was doing so i actually i haven't been out myself and probably three years two two years two three years which yeah kind of whitetail hunting and then spearing like that's like i said i grind pretty hard through the summer and fall months with my work and by the time late fall rolls around like i i just need that outside time like just sitting out there and uh just kind of unwinding and letting the mind mind go blank and uh you know that's the great thing about spearing too is just the social aspect of being outside and you can sit there and if even if the fishing isn't great, you know, as long as the buddy's sitting in the shack with you and you're just shooting the breeze and having a few barley sodas and letting the time go by. <laughs> yeah, man, that's dope. <laughs> I like that. I mean, and that's what, that is the aspect of ice fishing in general is just being able to um, hang out. It's more of a hangout. 
you can chill, you can have a good time, and uh, just kind of wait for them to roll in. But that's the thing with, uh, like, dark house fishing. Like you said, you're cutting that one hole. So, like, are you doing, like, would you pilot hole and then put something, like, some type of uh, camera down to kind of inspect? Or do you just have one spot that you go to all the time and that's where is that's where it is? So I'll, I'll go with Sturgeon Spearing first. Like, Sturgeon Spearing, your success rate is definitely helped a lot by uh, scouting. So you're going right. around, you're checking water clarity is a really important thing. Um, and then if you get w- good water clarity, you'll put down what's basically a mud dipper. Uh, you'll drop that down, and then you're checking to see how many of those red worms that Sturgeon eat are down there. Uh, and then if you get a good red worm count, then guys will sit and they'll watch a camera. Uh, for an afternoon, you know, just seeing if a surgeon by chance comes through. Uh, so you'll, they'll do some scouting and that definitely plays into it. Uh, pike spearing, it's kind of like a, in the summer months, like you're looking for basically weed breaks or drop offs, things like that. Uh, you'll still auger a hole and I'll, I'll check clarity or just check depth and to know where I'm setting up. Usually eight to 10 feet is kind of where you want want to be for a pike spear and obviously if they're much deeper than that your your spear will actually plane out you know it'll hit yeah, a yeah. certain depth and it'll start kicking out on you so you're if you're in 30 feet of water and it's crystal clear you're not going to hit a pike that's down on the bottom so right right so you do a lot of like i shouldn't say a lot but you do a lot like scouting during the summer you're you're checking depths in your lakes uh well the like checking depths in the winter like I'll go out and auger a hole and 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 check the depth then so yeah okay no I, I mean again it's like it's like when I talk to fly fishing the Ozarks about fly fishing it's I know nothing about it I know I've seen fly fishing rods I've seen flies I've seen different things but I literally know nothing about it it's the same with what you do so I I try yeah. to get as much information and I probably sound like stupid when i'm no, questions no. I'm well and we're hitting up <laughs> we're hitting up a lot of the same lakes like we know kind of general the good spots to go um right. where i'm going next weekend with all my buddies this is actually a new lake for us so uh we'll we'll kind of spread out and see who's doing doing well and we might you know move shacks over to a hot area or, uh things like that so is there limits to the size of the hole you can make uh each state is different on that uh Usually a warden isn't going to, like, tape measure your hole. I'd say three to four feet is about the average size you're cutting. Again, that's a lot of work, right. so it's just whatever you're feeling feeling up to, to cutting. Right. I guess, big generally sc- speaking, you're trying to fit it in your house, whatever you Yeah, do, big screen or TV your- or a little screen TV, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's amazing, man. But for, and I'm just trying to roll into some of these questions instead of making it super direct, but... uh because you don't do as much summer fishing, I always ask like th- if you were to have three um like bucketless fish to fish uh do you do you have aspirations for like open water fishing ocean fishing like are those things that you aspire to or are you just you good with 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 uh, spearing through the ice, like, do you have those aspirations? Do you have three bucket list <laughs> fish? Like, if you had twenty four hours anywhere in the world to go fish a species, would it be late January on the ice spear fishing for 
yeah, I would. Say, yeah, would I'm definitely. I'm a simple man. Like, yeah, if, <laughs> if I could go a pike spear, and that you know, that's a a good time for me. Um, there's still more states I want to spear. I want to go to North Dakota pike spear, and that's a real popular state. And uh, you know, they get some pretty massive pike out there. Uh, yeah, I'd love to. I went to Alaska in 2018, and uh, met a real cool guy up there that took me out on his boat, and we did some halibut fishing and rockfish cool. uh, cool. fishing. So I, I would. I'm actually hoping to go back up there this summer. Uh, and I'd love to do that again, go halibut fishing and rockfish fishing and see whales and all the other cool, cool stuff there and maybe do some salmon fishing. And, uh, I've tried fly fishing a few times and I suck at it, but I would, I would totally try it again in Alaska. You know, that'd be obviously fun to do. Do you, now, have you ever thought about like, and I mean, I know they're kind of different, com- I shouldn't say completely, but like actual dive fishing, like dive spear fishing, something like that. Uh, Sure. I, I'm a horrible swimmer, so it probably wouldn't okay. be the best idea for me. <laughs> I can doggy. My wife likes a joke that I can only doggy paddle. I'm like, hey, I can stay afloat at least. But uh, I mean, yeah, it, it's cool to do, but I, yeah, I'd probably, probably drown if I tried it. Yeah, that's, that's fair. <laughs> I actually, I know some people, uh, a family in Hawaii that they, they spearfish and, <clears throat> excuse me, they do, uh, like the sons are like professional divers. So they'll go under for whatever it is, four minutes, five minutes. I don't know how, whatever the long, it's, they go down for a long time. And I said to him, I'm like, I'd love to try spearfishing one time. He goes, buddy, whenever you're in, whenever you're in Hawaii, you, you let me know. And he's like, we'll take you spearfishing. And I go, uh, that'd be incredible. Like I would love to come. And when I do, I will be hitting you up to spearfish. He goes, how's your swimming though? And I go, I'm pretty proficient like i've swam my whole life like i i would consider myself a strong swimmer and he goes okay he's like how long can you hold your breath and i go i don't know under a minute a minute maybe like i'm not like an olympian and he goes perfect you're the perfect type of person to fish with and i go great he goes because when my sons dive real deep to do their spear fishing, they need shark bait that goes up and down at the top <laughs> of the water to keep the sharks distracted. I was like, "Get out of here, dude! Like, this isn't fun time at all anymore." But yeah. it well, is and not- you mentioned about like ocean fishing. Like, there's a, obviously like I like to make oddball stuff, but there's so Mother Nature has made so many cool ass fish that man. Anytime I have a list going, like anytime I see something on Instagram or like Joe Smelly like shares something cool that he's caught or whatever like I'll put that on my list and I'm like well I need to make that as a decoy so like I'll never catch these fish like but right. I've made so many cool oddball like these surge rassy fish that I made a while back that are like native to Indonesia like North Korea kind of area that are just these wild things and so yeah, it's kind of cool to like to challenge and make these different things that I'll I'll probably never right. put my hands on, but it's still a neat thing to to make and and just see what yeah what pike or sturgeon are come into. Right. Yeah, I mean that is one thing that like I when I'm when I'm painting baits, I, I try to do everything custom. I try to not do too much stock. I, I do try to keep it individual for the person. That's why I don't do too many drops because I like to work with a person individually. Um, but I'll have suggestions for fish and I'll have to Google them. Like I've never even heard of them before. And it's some ocean fish or it's, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean something. And you're like, Oh, that, that's a, I feel like I'm pretty well versed in fish. 
had no idea that there was a fish right. that looked like Yeah, there's just so many I mean? wild like, things. Yeah. Exactly. Every day I get surprised by a new offset of a cichlid or like this type of this. And you're just like, mm. I had no idea. But yeah, that's uh, that's super cool. So w- before we were talking though, um, live, you had mentioned like this is a, a big time and, and you'd mentioned the trade show in April. Is that is that the big, like... Is that where you put all your focus to, or is there a lot of shows throughout the year, or do you just kind of really focus on the one? So, yeah, like like I said, Minnesota has a real, like, strong spearing culture, so they have a number of shows, uh, but the National Fish Decoy Show, uh, that's every April, and I serve on the board of directors for that. That's I definitely put a lot of effort into that. Um, and then I do a couple, like, local arch craft shows that I'll sell. I'll bring decoys along. Oh, okay. they're, def- they're definitely a conversation piece. People are really interested in them, but my apparel is the bigger seller at those things. Uh, and then I'll do the Wisconsin Ice Fishing Expo that's in December. Um, so I'll sell a lot of like sturgeon decoys at that that show. Right. So like as far as moving products go, this is your, this is kind of the next four months is your busy time. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. Now, do yeah, you do I, custom work? I know you said that you kind of hold off and you don't, but uh, like in August, I'm somebody's looking ahead of time and trying. Do you? Would you take a custom order? I, I used to do orders, but I I hated because, like I said, I have all my other work that's busy in the summer months, and I don't do a ton of carving. I do a little bit of carving, but I hate making guys wait. I never take money up front when I did yeah. orders, um, but I still like hated making people wait and just kind of having that weigh in on me. So I quit doing orders about two years ago. Um, the guys that have bought from me before, like they'll say, Hey, can you make such and such? And I'll just say, Hey, I'll make a note of it. And if, when I make that, like, I'll let you know, but it's not really, it's not really an order. Uh, right. But, and I like the creative freedom to just whatever weird thing that I think of or, you know, whatever weird fish I see on Instagram that I can just go ahead and start making that, that I'm not like setting aside an order that I should be working on to do this goofy thing that I've just right. seen on the internet. Yeah. So, uh, I, I like not having to do orders anymore, but yeah. So things I make, I just post on Instagram and post on my Etsy store for sale when they're done. So if people are looking for, for something that you make, just kind of keep a, keep an alert on the Etsy store, I guess, for when yeah. that pops up or, yeah. um, or, or make your way down to Minnesota. Minnesota's where the trade show is, you said? In April? Yeah, the one in April, then the one in Wisconsin is in December, and that'll be in Oshkosh, which is up by Lake Winnebago, which is the Sturgeon Spear in country, basically. Beautiful. So if you're, if you're looking for something, head to, head to Minnesota's trade show in April. That's amazing. It, anything else new with you it's like i've never actually talked to you in person so i'm intrigued by you (laughs) anything else you got going outside of hunting and fishing what kind of photography are you into like Uh, i I shouldn't say what you're into but what do you do like is it is it nature stuff as well or are you doing just anything that you're hired for yeah uh anything i'm hired for a lot of my clients are in the agriculture industry so i do a lot of a lot of agriculture work um, for different businesses and associations. I do portrait work as well. Uh, so that's yeah, obviously really busy in the summer and fall months there from weddings and senior portraits and uh, commercial work for small businesses and restaurants, plumbers, whatever, uh, design 
yeah, graphic design, all that. So a little bit, little bit of everything. Yeah. That's awesome. Photography is always like, there's, I mean, even with lures, when I look at it, like there's certain things that I am obsessed with, but I just don't have, when I try to replicate it myself, I just can't do it. And photography is one of them. I've got nice cameras. Um, I try to get low and get cool angles and I try to play with light and I am just not a good photographer. Like I can take a nice picture. Like I could take a picture and you'd be like, that's a nice picture. But like, you know, the difference between a professional picture and a nice picture, like just everything's perfect in a professional picture. And like I said, the lighting, um, shadows just as much as lighting, uh, I'm, I'm, preaching to the choir that you do this as a job but i'm just not good at my eye can't capture that moment at the right time now modern day cameras help a lot because you can edit things you can fix things but to catch that moment i struggle with and that's something that like coming out of out of like uh high school and into college it's something that i really wanted to be able to do because i was right into photography like i said but once I looked at the pictures that I took that I thought were like perfect pictures, I'd be like, that's a dog shit photo. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it wasn't what I envisioned it to be. Maybe my imagination is better than my real life abilities because like I picture the picture to look one way, but then when I look at it, when it's done, I'm like, that's nothing what I was seeing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So that's, that's definitely a, a skill in its own is good photography. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, it's partly having, the creative eye but then it's like anything it's like lure making or decoy making the the whole process that goes into it the technical aspects of you know having the proper settings for the camera and the lighting and and everything that goes into it like the decoy making it's it's all a process like there's certain steps and you can't you can't rush you know the aspects of it and and just and going through that process right right i mean i love that I love everything about that. And I love everything about Ice ice House. Black, dark House, Ice House, Ice Spear. Dark House Spear, yeah. We'll yeah. call it yeah. all of them. I like everything about it. Yeah. I will definitely got to try it, though, sometime. Like, it's... Um, I, I say that, but again, my time is... It's tough to... It's tough to narrow down mm-hmm. a slot. I kind of got to make a vacation and, and go do it. So, yeah. one day in my life, maybe, maybe when the kids have left and I have the time. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, on the decoy side of things, so I, I'll just talk a little bit about my setup. I feel like we've talked everything else, but actual that's making right. Because... I, actually, before, <laughs> before, before, yes, thank you. I've, I've almost this last minute. If it seems like I'm like delaying, it's because there was something I wanted to talk about, and it was that before we even started this, we were talking about that you just put an addition to yeah. make your your decoy, and I, I wanted to bring that up. From the beginning, it was like a note, but the whiskey started happening, so <laughs> Sorry, I forgot it. Conversations but... <laughs> going, I know how it goes. Yeah. Uh, yes, so my yes. my carbon, I originally just did in the corner of my garage and just made. It's a dusty mess, obviously, to carve wood. Um, so my wife's Jeep would just be covered in sawdust all the time. So I think it was late 2018. I got uh, built a shed that I had custom made. And then finish that out, and that's my new carving setup. Uh, it's only like eight by twenty feet, but it works out great for for what I need. And then I just recently built uh, like a room, basically in my garage, uh, just a little like six by eight foot room. 
uh, to put all my paint in. And I had just been doing painting in my basement, which is a very, it's a very old house, just stone basement, like was not a pretty setup by any means, but uh, yeah, got a nice setup in the, in the garage now for doing all my little painting and uh, just a little bit of airbrush. Uh, All my base layers, all airbrush, but I still love to hand paint. I think it's just kind of the artist in me. I love doing all the detail work by hand and and painting it. Yep. um, I mean, I've, I've, well, first to get to your your area, it's I, I've I've got a super small area myself, and I've made do, and I've kind of spread it out. I've taken over kind of my whole basement. I've made spray booths and you know big ones uh, with industrial fans and stuff like that. That PB wise, it's good, but it's I still carve, cut, and sand when I'm making masters in the same place I airbrush. So there's mm-hmm. like a full area deep clean. So that I'm not getting like wood shavings or or anything like that, like dust in the paint or on the lures when they're getting painted. So it's a nightmare. So the fact that you're able to separate those workspaces completely is is awesome. And I'm jealous, and I'll say that out loud. Because as soon as I started spreading my work areas apart, like getting a different area for soft plastics and stuff like that, like you just you're able to keep things contained a little more. So that's my um, future venture is to kind of set up a, a standalone space for, for different things. I mean, I'm so far away from that, but that is something I, I want to work towards is doing exactly what you do. Have a, have a good space. I mean, I think you said eight by 20. That's a, a carbon area. Yeah. 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 That's a That's a great space. So, so you had mentioned, st- um, like traditional art on your decoys. Uh, uh, like one of my first podcasts, first or second podcast, I had mentioned uh, a guy by the name of Dusty Custom Baits, and he uh, he hasn't been making baits as much as often. He just posted something about, I think he made a bunch of um, like small uh, ice t- uh, ice flies that he made for ice fishing, but uh, he stick brushes all of his baits, and he's one of the only guys that was doing like big production baits that was stick brushing at all. And it I bought one of them off them for that reason. Is because like I love airbrushes. I love doing what I can do with airbrushing. But there's something to be said about the way a bait looks or decoy when it's like traditional stick brush. Like just hand painted. Mm-hmm. Um it just has a different like it has a feel to it to me. Like it just has a different, I don't know. I, I just appreciate it more. Yeah. If that for makes sure. any sense. Yeah. But, like ton, like props to the guy, like you guys that can do like fine detail with an airbrush, but I, I still struggle with it. So that's part of the reason I hand paint, but there's definitely just a different look to it. You know, you can get those hard, real hard lines or, you know, hard patterns with a hand paint and then just, yeah, there's definitely a different feel and look to it overall. Right. And I, and I, I, I also like, I mean, uh, from what you can see, people listening can't hear, but I have on the back wall, like right behind this, this computer is I did this whole wall in century board. It's like a 30 foot wall, um, century barn board, and it's over a hundred years old and it's weathered and I love it. Like I love things that look older and that's one of the things that really attracted me to his baits when he was making them is that it had a very traditional look to it 
Do you know what I mean? Like having that stick brush, it has, he could get these details that like my eye doesn't pick up, but when you look at the bait, it just makes sense. And I would never think about painting it that way. But at the same time, it's like, this reminds me of something that I would have found in my grandfather's tackle box painted on like a frog or something like a wood plug. Do you know what I mean? And I love that feel. I love that um, traditional feel of of the stick brush painting. Yeah, for sure. So and I think, but, yeah, I think it, yeah, it's like my style and it kind of, you know, you can look at a decoy and identify like who made it, you know, which, you can see the style of what, you know, if they're airbrushing or hand painting or maybe they do their fins a certain way or, or, you know, whatever, they carve the body a certain way. Like you can tell like who made that. And I, I think with some carvers, new carvers, you'll see them, you know, especially if they train with somebody, uh, like you'll see who they trained with. Like you'll definitely see the influences of that style when they right. start out. And, and I, I'm mostly self-taught. Like I had my retired warden buddy who gave me some pointers, but I never sat and carved with him. And so I was just like looking at pictures and looking on the internet, like, how do I do this? How do I make this? And so I think, you know, that kind of developed my own style by, by going that way. I wasn't, you know, directly influenced by one carver or another. Right. So your, your experience with spearfishing and decoy making, they're pretty close together. Like when you found spearfishing, you were like, I can do this. Like, it's not like you spearfished when you were a kid and then started making decoys later on in life. I know we talked about this at the very beginning, but I don't remember how close it was to starting spearfishing versus making the decoys. There's like a, probably a three year gap between when I first started uh, pike spearing and making my own decoys. Like I said, you know, I didn't have, I was living in an apartment, so it was, would have been pretty tough to to carve and, and make decoys in an apartment. And once I finally got a house and had, had a garage that I could make a mess in. That was when I first started carving decoys. <clears throat> right. So what, on average, would you say, I know, I know I'm holding on to you for a long time, but on yeah, average, but... what would you say is a turnaround time for you? Like uh, start to finish making, and I'm sure that you make a couple at a time or you make a batch, but if you're making, l- let's just say, just to put one out there, um, like that you were saying like a two foot jackalope like the bigger one how much how long would you say you invest into one of those big decoys so i don't i've never like tracked exact time on a decoy because i don't want to know that when i sell one that it's only like 50 cents an hour so (laughs) (laughs) um a big pike a full-size pikelope i bet you that is 40 plus hours of work on a full-size pikelope like that's that's a ton of work uh, but a more basic worker, like I know people can't see it, but you know, a smooth body, uh, 12 inch, like Beautiful. just minimal gill details, like not a ton of detail in there. Um, that still itself is probably eight hours of work. Uh, wow. but start to finish, um, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't start a decoy in the morning and have it finished by night. Cause there's parts in the process that I have to wait, uh, from the sealing of the decoy, the epoxying, the fins in, you know, that has a cure time. Uh, when I wait the decoy, I got to then w- uh, wait at least a day to make sure that that body cavity is dried out of any water. And then I'll uh, do a different kind of epoxy to seal the body in. And then that itself has to wait another day 
uh, for it to harden and cure. And then I'll sand that down and then I'll prime it. And then I got to wait another day for that primer, you know, to be fully dry. Uh, and then I'll set the line tie on it and then I'll wait another day cause I'll epoxy that line tie in and then I'll paint it and then I'll wait a few days. I, I generally wait like double whatever, you know, if it's a rattle can primer and it says 24 hours, well, I'm going to wait 48 hours just cause I want right. to be absolutely certain that that is right. dry. Cause you know, I've seen plenty of new carvers that I'll rush it or they'll do the exact time that it says on a cure time for something and their paint bubbles. And it's like, well, any sort of weird thing that, you know, humidity or temperature, like we'll throw that time off. So I'm doing double whatever that time is right. for a cure or dry on paint or primer, or epoxy, all that. So it, it's, it's probably 10 days from like the start of a decoy until it would actually be finished. Right. And I mean, that's like, I mean, I had issues not long ago, like that ravaged me with, uh, with clear coating. And I still really didn't get to the bottom of it, to be honest with you, for anybody that's listening and that followed me on that journey. I don't know. I just switched clear coats. Um, but a lot of people don't understand that there there is a lot of degassing that happens. Uh, if you're working with wood, like there's um, like the sealants that you use, they need to degas and they need to set up um, paints it's a little back and forth. People will say they do some say they don't, but I'm generally the same thing. Like if I pour a resin bait, which I'm making, <clears throat> I'll make a couple of them at a time that doesn't receive any kind of primer for sometimes up to a week, just to make sure the resin degasses. You want to make sure it's completely right. solidified because then you'll see people say like, I, I, I poured this bait. Everything was fine. I had no issues. I painted it. And now it's, the paint's not adhering here, or it's blistering here. A lot of times it's just, it's still degassing, so it's having a chemical reaction. Um, and the clear coats have the same. I, I do have a question, because you might get the odd hit from a pike. I don't know if you're very brand-specific, or if you're just kind of, um, if it's a trade secret and you don't like to talk about it, but I'm curious what kind of clear coat you might use on uh, on your decoys. Yeah. So I, yeah, I know some guys... Some carvers can be tight-lipped, but I, I get tons of questions, especially on, like, Instagram, people that are wanting to try something or they'll see, like, I'll post a lot of process pictures. I'll totally answer anything that people ask. Um, so I'm using, like, a spar urethane uh, spray coat, and I'll do usually three or four light coats of that. So waiting about 20 minutes in between until it's just getting, like, kind of tacky, and then I'll do another light coat. Because uh, if you get too heavy with it, it'll kind of yellow. Uh, give a yellow tint to it right. so i'll use that and that i use that because it's it's good for uv and it's supposed to kind of expand and contract a little bit with the temperature change i mean these decoys are going through some brutal stuff you know going from a warm shack into freezing water out of the shack sure. you know out of the freezing water they're getting ice frozen on it like they're they're going some, through some abuse so you want something right. that i think expands a little bit you know, Rust-Oleum clear coat some guys will use, but uh, I think that'll crack a little bit because it doesn't have that expansion on it. Okay. Uh, some carvers I know use, like, the epoxy uh, coat like you swim bait guys use. And I know that stuff is great, like, as far <laughs> as protective, but I, I don't like how it it can make a real heavy, you know, it takes away that texture. Like, especially, like, this detailed pike, it's got, every scale is detailed in there and, and you can feel it. 
you know, yeah. and when you do that heavy epoxy, it kind of takes away that, that touchy feel of it. And I just, I don't know. I don't like that as much, but I, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. And I mean, I use, I use a different clear coat kind of for all of the baits that I use. I'm not very specific to one, but that was one of the hardest ones was that I would spend all this time carving all like scales into my, my baits, um, paint it and then put this two layer clear coat on it. And it was just a very smooth bait. Now, if you want to go as far as like it can't be replicated, you can't mold the same bait and get the same thing. Sure, that if that was the objection or objective of it, then yeah, you couldn't copy my bait and get those scale patterns. But that's not really the point. I wanted it to be kind of the feel of it. Right. So I tried to look for for thinner epoxies that I could that I could coat with. That's why I went to like a UV resin so that I could clear it and get a bit of a thinner coat, but still nice and hard. Um. But that's why I asked because I've now switched any of my detailed um, carvings. I've switched to a like a two K um, rattle can clear that has been it, it hardens like like rock, and I've had great success with it. So that's why I was curious what you because you guys do detailed carving as well, mm-hmm. and uh, just what kind of top coat you use because, like I said, when I have a carved detail i use the spray can and i kind of build up four or five layers of it real thin though and it works out perfectly and they can take a beating they you can scratch them they don't scratch um but i'm also not adding kind of what you talked about with swim baits i'm not adding weight so the difference i don't know if it's the difference but for me as i build a bait we're we're down to like grams that i'm trying to make sure that it's head heavier tail heavier perfectly flow uh weighted so it falls flat um while maintaining the movement so you're kind of purposely throwing it off balance so that when it swims you get this action but some of them if you switch the hooks out for heavier hooks or lighter hooks it might change the action because like that's how detailed it is when it comes to getting it weighted properly if i throw on some paint that's not really going to affect it at all but if i put two part epoxy on and put two layers of it that changes everything mm-hmm. that turns it into a brick. So that's where it does make a huge difference. And, and a lot of people might not, um, I, I make a lot of lipless baits though. So I, I really rely on the weighting of the bait to make the movement, to throw it off balance. So it swims the way you want it to swim. If you put a lip on it, um, you don't have to be as uh, precise because you have a lip that's going to interfere with the water. That's going to give it some movement. Right. Yeah, I've definitely heard. I've heard that from different guys that use the two part, like that it it will affect the weighting, especially like if it really kind of coats up heavy on those fins and it can kind of throw off the balance a little bit. And um, I mean, the downside to the spar urethane that I use is is a pike can, you know, if a pike hits it or you drop this, like you can scratch it or it'll get marked up. But I kind of like the pike marks, you know, the teeth marks on it. It's like a badge of honor. Like, you know, I got some that I've had for like almost a decade now that are just beat to hell. And, but it's, you know, it's part of the story of that decoy, like that time that that pike came in and tried to swallow it. And, you know, it's also validation. Yeah. Yeah. You want to know if they work? That Mm -hmm. one tells you it does. And I mean, but like, that's the point is that like, I've been, this was just circumstantial that I have this here because I had it up here. I just took a picture of it before we started this for Instagram. So because you're not watching this, I'm showing a picture of a picture that I just posted on Instagram of a new musky bait that I'm working on. Um, But it's, I didn't carve any scales into it. Um, It's still working on it, but 
I'm keeping it more simplistic because this one I want to put a two-part epoxy on. It's going to have a big lip on, so I don't have to worry too much about the weight ratio. And I want to be able to put two-part epoxy on it to build it up so much because when you're when you're either going to be casting or trolling for musky and you get that aggressive hit, you generally speaking want to be able to prevent those penetrations when you're actively trying to get the fish to bite it. <clears throat> what kind of, what is that carved out of? This is Tupelo. Tupelo, okay. So yeah. that's a master, that's a master though, so uh, I'll be making resin copies. Of yeah. It. So like for competition decoys, like some guys like Tupelo and Basswood, because it carves real nice and carves easy. Um, for workers, I'm pretty much using only cedar just because that holds up to the best, you know, like I said, those cold temps, the freezing water, all that, you know, cedar, even if, if somehow the water got through all my layers of protection of the sealant and all that, it's still, like, wa- it's it's still, still essentially it's, waterproof. Yeah. Yeah. But if, you know, if it's basswood, that, that decoy is just going to implode. It's going to explode. <laughs> you know, the water yeah, 100%. Through, yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, this is, it was actually, I talked to Nate Marling, who, who was like, you got to do Tupelo, don't get basswood, get Tupelo. And I had Tupelo, or basswood at the time. So, I mean, I actively went out and found Tupelo. And what I can say about it is it's extremely nice to work with. It's light. It's, you can just hawk material. Um, you can sand imperfections real easy. What I don't like about it is when it's almost like carving cork. So, like, it, it doesn't chip in big chunks like maybe pine or something like that will where you catch a grain and you peel the whole grain off that doesn't really happen but what happened if your knife is a little bit dull or you catch kind of i don't even want to call it a grain because it almost feels grainless but you'll pull off like a chunk like a piece of cork and that's hard to salvage because that'll go deep and you're just like oh my god here we go right so um this is only i think the second second thing i've ever worked with it on and i I chose it because it's a bigger bait and i I knew that i wasn't going to go scale detail on it which it's been nice with but again uh, like sometimes when i'm carving it the like the base of the knife will touch it and i'll put a gouge into the wood it's so soft and it's like son of like you can't i gotta fill that in with something like a filler or i gotta sand it down more in those spots so yeah so i have i have a supplier for my cedar that like that's all they deal in is cedar um and they're selling mostly for like commercial like building aspects but they have like what's called their like cedar shorts it's basically their waist like cutoffs that i can get for dirt cheap and yeah definitely stuff that's like bigger grain you know yeah you'll get that like where a bigger piece will carve out and you know ideally you'd want like a real tight fine grain like no knots and and that'll carve a lot nicer yeah I mean, but what you're holding, and again, people can't see it, like, even, like, your tail's kicked on that. Like, it, it's not it's not in line, and I'm assuming because that's when it's falling, it's going to spin in a direction, and, yeah. and that's to catch that edge. But even to get that nice and contoured like that with cedar, was being such a, like, a hard wood, like, that's, I don't envy that. I don't envy <laughs> that, that, that aspect of what you do with those hard woods, because it's just... That's a, all those hardwoods are not woods that that make your life easy when it comes to because even if you get a dent in it, you want to sand it. Like sanding cedar is not like just an easy task. Like you're putting yeah. in hours just sanding it down. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I hate. Yeah, you have to sand so many times in the process. Like you know, just when you rough out the body, then you got to sand it. Then you do it in the gills, and then you got to sand it, and all that. Uh, 
a game changer for me. I got like two years ago, uh, Fordham, the grinders, they make uh, this angle grinder, like disc head attachment. Uh, so I got like a foam, like a foam two inch disc pad that you can put two inch sanding disc on. And that is amazing for like, especially like I said, the, if it's not as tight a grain, like you can get it sanded down really right. nice and it doesn't you can dig really in. Material. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's to me, you would have to get like a decent, some type of power tool to just, if you're going to be pumping them out like you are, you know, yeah. and I don't even mean like high production. I just mean like, if it's something that you're doing for selling, if you're doing it on your own and you're just want to, you know, dabble in the hobby, then yeah, don't go rush out and buy all these things. But right. if you, that's one thing that's underestimated with, I think, that's one of the biggest things people don't realize. I've I've had people message me saying that they just got into bay making and they're and they're doing wood and they're wondering what wood to use because they think they're sanding like they're like I I'm still sanding. Like it, there's got to be an easier wood to work with and then mm-hmm. the answer is no. Like that's just a part of what we do. Yeah. Like you're going to be sanding for the rest of your life. Yeah. And then when yeah. you think it's done, you're going to sand a little more. And then once you've got it painted, you're going to realize you should have sanded maybe a little bit more because oh, you found sure. somewhere yep. else that should have been sanded. Yeah. Like sanding is the epitome of, of what we do. Yeah. So when I like first do uh, set the fins and like know where my lead cavity is going to be, I'll do a, so light, it- a light dusting with a primer. And that's when you definitely see like, oh, I, I missed a spot where I need to go back in and sand a little bit more on this. And yeah. That's actually... That's actually really, because like for this master, I'll get it perfect and then I'll like put it into like a urethane and, and get it, the wood penetrated, sealed. And then I do another good sand because it's such a light grain and such a light wood. I get a nice smooth sand on it because this master, I want it to be pretty close to like glass finish. Most of my baits when I'm done, I want them to be, um, like have a textured finish, uh, just enough that I don't have to go crazy with the pre-sand before I paint them. I want them to be a bit textured. The clear coat takes that out. But with that, you don't want to leave like dents and stuff like that. But what you just said is a little trade tip there for anybody listening that I'm actually going to try for this one, which is once this is polyurethane and I give it a sand out, I'm going to hit it with a little bit of primer before I before I try to mold it or anything. Because that's exactly it. As soon as you hit it with paint, all those shadows and dents show up and you're like, ah, damn it. I should have sanded a little bit more. That's yep. a great tip. Actually. I never thought about that is putting just a little bit of pre-paint on it just to mm-hmm. see what it's like. And then just give it one more sand down and even get rid of all the paint. It doesn't matter. Yep. That's a good tip. That's a good, uh, trade seeker there. There you go. Yeah. You're learning new stuff. <laughs> when well, I, I like the primer too. I'll like that light dusting before I actually weighed it. Cause I think that kind of helps uh, hold that sealant and, and, you know, making sure that no water's getting through. And like I said, I'm waiting days in between anyway, so I'm making sure it's fully dried out when I go to the next step in the process. Right. Right. No, that's cool, man. And uh, you're just using rattle can, like you said, like, like a Rust-Oleum primer, like you're not using any yep. special primers. You're like just off the shelf. Yeah. The primer is just a, uh, yeah, I think it's Rust-Oleum. Yep. yep. Nice. I mean, that, that's something that's always like, and it's not, I don't want to say it's like an underground conversation, but even with clear coats, I'll tell people that I'll, I've switched to a rattle can and they'll be like, you're going to want to do this instead. And I mean, I've used a lot of top coats. I've used a lot of top. I've probably used more top coats than people knew were available because I'm a sucker for always switching to the new, just to see what I like. You know what I mean? I'll try everything and I'll buy it and then it'll be garbage. But 
I like to try everything to find out what I like. And I mean, I feel like at least the, the 2K top coat that I'm using, Rattle Can, is, is probably the most effective. The only problem with Rattle Can, which I'm warning anybody out there, or any kind of aerosol top coat, is you need to have a good hood. You need to have a good like PPE. You can't be doing that in your basement or in like a small enclosed room. You'll kill yourself. Like <laughs> invest in some good ventilation before you start spraying any kind of rattle can or aerosol. Like that's that's uh that could be a dangerous venture, especially with like I said, the two K stuff, which is a two part um uh clear coat. Uh they're doing they do single can two Ks, which are like it's two chemicals that are mixed and they don't combine until you spray them uh until they reach like mix with oxygen then they combine and they blah 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 you need to have pp on for those like that's the different thing you should have pp on for epoxy and all that stuff but rattle can any kind of aerosol you got to be wearing some type of protection or it's going to be bad news yeah i I definitely wasn't the best about that when i started like i said when i didn't have like a great setup and um definitely added more as i've gone on you know cedar is super bad for your lungs the dust is yeah uh you know i got a dust collector i'm always wearing a full you know mask and i've got a finally a nice uh vent for airbrushing and things like that and uh hopefully that early but early stuff doesn't come back to bite me but well okay well that's the thing i mean i i I removed asbestos for like five years so like i'm already shot (laughs) but um I had a mother contact me before Christmas and ask, like, my son's into bait making. Uh, I know nothing about it, but he's mentioned your name before, and I found your email. What could I get him for Christmas? And I, the first thing I said is, as boring as it is, if he's 14, 15 years old, 12 years old, doesn't matter. Invest in, like, a P100 half-face mask for him. Mm. Like, it sounds like the lamest gift, but it's something that he's never going to want to buy himself. Until he's old enough, and then maybe it's too late, and he's starting early. Like the best gift you can give to somebody young in the game, and I don't even mean by age, I mean by experience, somebody new to the game, the best gift you can give them is PPE. Give them something that they're not going to necessarily go out. If you're pouring soft plastics, get some gloves, get an apron, get a mask. It doesn't matter if it's a cooking apron that says, you know, whatever it's it's got a nude picture on it of like a fake dink hanging down it doesn't matter get an apron get get a mask get goggles get gloves um invest in those for gifts for people that make baits if you're listening to this and you know somebody especially somebody young that's getting into it and that's the first thing i said to her and he likes to carve out of wood so i said get ppe and then get him some nice wood to work with like those those would be my recommendations mm-hmm. um and so i'm not sure what they ended up getting but it's it's a lot of people just throw a dust mask on, which it's granted that's much better than nothing, right? But if you're going to be doing this enough, and a dust mask is not going to help with with like chemicals like that are in aerosol sprays. So I highly recommend good ventilation and then like a P100 mask or like a NIOSH half face mask with with proper filters. Yeah, it's. That's one thing I learned because, I, like I said, I removed asbestos for years and I learned a lot about it. I always wear like full face masks and all that stuff. But the thing with lung diseases is they're very rarely like you get something in your lung and you're sick. 
problem with lung diseases like asbestosis and all those things there's latency to them so like right. it's 35 years down the road it's 30 years down the road you don't start seeing signs still so yeah i think ryan gas mentioned that like some older carvers and i've heard that too older carvers like just having lung issues and yeah you, you know you look at charts for wood and like toxicity and yeah cedar is always really high up there like it's yeah it's nothing to to play around with so wearing the right. proper protection and having a dust collector and yeah, all important. It's, it's very important. But I mean, that's I, that's why I like doing this as well, because people are listening and hopefully that motivates them to be like, you know what? Even on like AliExpress, or not AliExpress, uh, like Amazon. I mean, AliExpress probably too, but you can get like little paint booths. If you're just mm-hmm. carving something small, it's yeah. got a little, I think it's like a 240 CCF, CFM fan. Uh that's what I got was just, yeah, an Amazon. I think it's like a du- little dual fan, a little light up booth. And, and like I said, most of my stuff is in that 12 inch range. Like it's, right. it's perfectly adequate for that and it does its job. So hundred percent, you can sit there and I mean, they're not like free, but they're, they're not super expensive. Right. Like I think the, it's maybe 150 bucks, I think was mine. Yeah. Like, it's not like that bad. Yeah. And to be honest with you, like I said, I built myself a big hood. I got a big, like, 450 CFM fan. Like, and this is for, like, aerosol spraying inside. And I built a big enclosure. But I built the enclosure out of, like, uh, wafer board. Like, the stuff that, like, lawn signs are made out of. And, like, I built it all, and it's all taped, and it's all, like, it's all, it's a beautiful unit. Works great. But, I mean, because I built it myself out of, like, cheap materials... It only cost me a couple hundred bucks. Like, it's not like I had to go out and spend thousands of dollars on an industrial setup. Right. If you got a little bit of hands-on and you got a window to exhaust to, you can make something for fairly cheap, and and that's very effective. But again, it's all about longevity. Like, I don't feel like I've done damage to my lungs yet, but I guarantee I have. So mm-hmm. just, if anything that comes out of these podcasts, it's get get personal protective equipment. Get safe. And like you said, cedar any kind of woodworking that's one thing that's i've always underestimated if i'm sanding down resin and i see like the white powder coming up i'm like ooh, that's not good for me right but i'll sand wood and have that in my face and be like my beard is all covered in wood shavings and i'm just like ooh, i like the smell of pine like you know right. what i mean yeah, you don't yeah think it smells about great it. you like, don't realize it's, how bad it's, it is it's, it's yeah. natural but you don't realize that it, it's it's really not good for you so that's a good thing to bring up is is the ppe i appreciate that but listen, I, I've I've kept you for so long here. Um, I could honestly talk to talk to you as a person for forever. Like I mean, uh, even uh, off topic fun. of of baits, <laughs> I, I enjoy uh, these conversations because, like I said, that I try to keep them. I don't even try to, but in the world of of making. But uh, but again, I, I know that I could have conversation. The fact that you broke out the makers right at the beginning. I know I should have brought the bottle with me because I ran uh, out of makers about 20 minutes ago. So, I mean, I'm empty too. So like I was drinking just whatever ice I had at the bottom of it. So, um, But no, the fact that you broke up makers, I could have talked whiskey to you for, for, for hours as well. So yeah, I could have went into the story how I drank with the distiller for makers and like how that's how I got this nice little dipped glass i was going I'll to save say, that for the next time <laughs> i was gonna say i saw that the the wax on the bottom of yeah. that cup and i was gonna be like that looks like a fancy yeah. cup. that's a story uh, in itself i'll we'll do that next time but. <laughs> I, I there will be a next time more whiskey focused though yeah but no listen right i appreciate you very much i appreciate you coming on here and again this has kind of been a long time in the works so i brought it up to you 
basically when we when I started this was was kind of getting you on here. So uh, I really wanted to get you on here. I'm glad I got you on there for the first one of New Year's. Happy New Year's to everybody that's listening. Um, Ryan, where can they find you? Where 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 are the avenues that they can? Uh, find for you? the stuff we talked about, Instagram's probably the best. Uh, Ryan Ebert Art, and then my Etsy is the same. Ryan Ebert Art. That's where I post pretty much all my uh, decoy or fishing apparel related stuff. Perfect. Uh, that's amazing. Make sure you go check him out. Give him a follow. He's, uh, like I said, it, even if it's just to see the shirts, because they are, I mean, I, I think they're beautiful. They are for sale, though. Yep, thank you. Yeah, uh, holidays was really good, so I'm sold out of quite a few sizes right now. I need to start printing more, uh, but I'll be doing that in the coming month, making more, and I always got more ideas and random random shit rolling around in my head that I want to do, so there'll be more stuff amazing. going up. All right. Well, I'll be looking into getting one of those, and I appreciate you being here again. That's Ryan Ebert Art on Instagram. Make sure you check him out. Like I said, give him a follow. Everybody else, thank you so much for listening to this. Um, I've already got a bunch planned. I got a bunch booked, so I'm hoping not to have any missed episodes this year. That's my New Year's resolution: is not to miss any Mondays anymore because I've missed a couple. So I'm trying to stay on task with that. Uh, so hopefully, I can provide and and stay on top of that. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening and being a part of this. I hope everybody had a safe and happy New Year's. And we'll catch you on the next one. Stay happy, healthy, and we'll see you on the water. 